Good evening. Please have your Bible ready. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. I want this to be what might be called just an old-fashioned, simple Bible study through the text. I'm using the English Standard Version, so the wording may not be identical to the translation you have. I'm going to start at verse 1, and as we go through this conversation, we will pause and make observations, and that will take us eventually to applications. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. But when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Let's pause there. The first time you read this, it may sound like just a narrative, a travel journey with nothing more than a geographic reference, Samaria. There's more here. There is history behind this. Jews and Samaritans were not friendly neighbors. The Jews considered Samaritans to be crudely expressed half-breeds. There was ill will between Samaritans and Jews, long-standing division, prejudice, suspicion, and the history goes all the way back into Old Testament times, back when the nation divided and intermarriage with Assyrians, conflict during the rebuilding after captivity, long-standing division, prejudice, suspicion between Jews and Samaritans. And I'm going to get a little ahead of myself and show you how this emerges in the text down at verse 9, what this woman said confirms this history. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So mark this down as we go through. Jesus is in a place where many Jews thought he shouldn't be, shouldn't stop, should not engage in conversation, don't even drink their water might have been the extreme end of the prejudice. Sychar in Samaria was therefore more than just a place on the map or a road stop. These people in this place had a hostile history with the Jews. And that's where Jesus is. Continuing at verse 6. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask, for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus 
answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Pause there. Two social conventions are being violated by Jesus. No violation of God's law, but two social conventions. Jesus is here ignoring One, he's talking to this woman, and two, she is a woman of Samaria. The disciples are away at the grocery store. Notice what happened here is not lost on this woman. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman, of Samaria, and then it is added, either by the woman or by John, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Well, Jesus didn't walk away. He didn't apologize for ignoring the social conventions of the matter. He opens up further conversation. He says, there is a gift of God. If you only knew who you were talking to, there is living water to be given. Well, she didn't understand. She didn't understand everything about what he said at first, but there was interest. Where do you get that living water? When she speaks of Jacob and the well and watering the livestock, it shows that she doesn't completely understand the kind of water Jesus is talking about. And so Jesus responds with clarity. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Well, Jesus has opened up a subject of such profound substance She'd never heard this before. All the Samaritan woman can say at this point is, give me this water. Still without full knowledge, but she's attracted to this idea of living water and eternal life. Give me this water. The conversation transitions at this point. We're continuing at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, 
you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Pause again. It turns out she had been with several men, but the current man was not her husband. Now, stop and think of that. What does that mean? It means she had not entered into a marriage as God has designed marriage. Whatever may have happened with the other men, she was living with a man now who was not her scriptural husband. At this point, Jesus doesn't take off into her wrongs because his primary concern at this point is to show her his divine knowledge. He knew her life's story. And this display of divine knowledge causes her to say, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Conversation takes another turn. I'm at verse 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship? Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming... And is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Pause again. One of the historical differences between the Jews and the Samaritans was how they worshipped and where they worshiped. She said to Jesus, We have our location, but you say Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, Jesus could have opened up all the history here, but he didn't. He spoke of what was about to take place in regard to worship. He says that the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Her response. We're at 25. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming he who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Now, she begins to get it. This is no ordinary Jewish man who's just come to get drink. We'll see in a moment. Her change of heart. About this time, the disciples come back from their trip to get groceries, and we're at verse 27. 
Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. And no one said, what do you seek or what are you, why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Now, the disciples echo what we talked about earlier, that Jesus was violating these two social conventions, talking to a woman of Samaria. And the next part of that narrative shows the woman leaving her water pot, telling the people who she'd been talking to and provoking their thought, can this be the Christ and the results? They went out of the town and were coming to him. That's John 4, 1 through 30. What do we need to get from this? Aside from the interest of the narrative itself and the history behind it, what do we need to take from this? Here's what I want us to see over the next few moments. I'm thankful to a gospel preacher named Edwin Crozier for his wording of these points concerning this woman's evangelistic work. She was not hindered by her past to tell people about this encounter. See, we already know she is a woman who had been talking to a Jewish man and who has a past of being with five men and the current man, Jesus said, was not her rightful husband. She doesn't let any of this hinder her from telling about the man that she met at the well and provoking the thought of the people. Is this the Christ? I think it must be pretty common that people may say to themselves, I can't talk to people about the gospel. Nobody will believe me. And so there are people who don't invite people and don't recommend the gospel and don't speak up, hindered by something in their past that may be of some level of embarrassment. Well, here's the answer to that. If you're guilty of some sin, repent and then tell the good news. If you have repented and you are not a current participant in sin, tell the good news. If you're a sinner, tell the good news and then obey it with those that you speak to. There is nothing in our past that should hinder us from telling people the good news. She was not caught up in her earthly concerns. This may seem trivial at first. I thought it was for a long time. But look at verse 28. She left her water jar and went into town. She didn't just go back to her routine. Fetching water was forgotten for now. She even left her water jar. 
She didn't say to herself, well, that's an interesting man. He had interesting things to say, but I've got chores to do. After a while, I may tell somebody about this. It was urgent to her. I think one problem we have with evangelism is it's just not urgent. We have other things to do. We have earthly concerns that may enslave us and keep us from sharing the good news. How easy it is to get caught up in the daily pursuit of our lives and forget that there are people that we have encounters with and we haven't talked to them about how their spiritual and moral needs are met by the one we have encountered, Jesus Christ. We've got to see the needs of people spiritually as an urgency. She made the invitation very simple. Come and see. John 4.29, come see a man. It was not complicated. It was not overwhelming. It was not a multi-dimensional mysterious discourse. She didn't preach a sermon. She said, come see a man. We need to invite people. That's one of our goals this year. And invitations are not sermons or discourses or debates on comparative religion. We just want to say to people, come and see. We've provided these cards for that purpose, just Hand the card to somebody. Come and see. Come see what we are about here at Laurel Heights. Or in our digital age, we can say to people, visit our website. Listen to a sermon. Keep it simple, gracious, never arrogant or boastful. Just a simple invitation. Come and see. And she gave a reason. She said, in essence, this man just met me, but he knows all about me. He's not just a man you meet at the watering well. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She gave a reason. She said, in essence, this is no ordinary man. Can can we say to people, come to Laurel Heights and just see how we open up this book every time we're here. In our Bible classes, we actually open the book and we study what the book says. In the classes out there, we study from the book. The preacher gets up to preach and he opens up the Bible. Come and see. And notice the results of her simple invitation. They went. They went out of town and were coming to him. I looked at the census records the other day from 2015 showing Hidalgo County at 842,000. Yes, 842,000. 
And then I looked at predictions, and with the economic growth, perhaps in a few years, we will arrive at the one million mark. How many of those people will hear us say, Come and see. Come and see what we're about. Some studies show that if we dispense 100 invitations for every 100, one will very likely take up the offer. How many invitations have you dispensed recently? We had these cards printed for us to use and for me to use and to simply say to people, come and see. So I'm going to leave us with this question. Can we do better? Can we say to people, come and see? Can we do better? I think we must. Let's be standing as we sing.